Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell. Today I'll be speaking with your MEC Chairman Will McQuillan, your Strategic Planning Chairman Drew Coyle, and your Negotiating Chairman Chris Grinner. We're just a month into the new year and typically we've spent that time to do a State of the Union address and we'll do that today here uh, with a lot of that work done by Will and, and Drew. We'll talk a little bit about what's coming ahead, what things you can expect, and some of the work that the negotiating committee has done. And hopefully you've all had a chance by now to see in your inboxes three new LOAs. And Chris will talk a lot more about that later in the podcast. So Will, as I often do, I'll turn it over to you and maybe give us a overview of what's been going on, sort of summarize the last year and what's, what's ahead. Yep, certainly. Thank you, David. With negotiations for the CBA complete, I, I do frequently get asked a lot of the what's going on. You know, what's the status of implementation, for example, or what the MEC's focus is now or, or ahead? And I think, as you said, we'll take some time today to answer some of those questions and honor that State of the Union tradition that we've established. Last year, we did record a State of the Union podcast and released it actually just prior to Christmas of 2021. And I think that we should start by just taking a minute to reflect on uh, the major challenges that faced the Alaska pilots uh, over that past year, over 2022, and how much work there is still to be done. To recap, the company at that time had filed for mediation services with the NMB. Negotiations, of course, were all but fully stalled. Uh, we'd seen the executive team ink a golden parachute deal that would uh, secure their futures, all at the same time not meaningfully addressing the job protections that uh, we were seeking. The ALPA scheduling team and officers had worked diligently and had success in showing the, the company that there was a business case for keeping that San Francisco pilot base intact. And pairing solution process was problematic. Our scheduling team was just constantly fighting for solutions that were more flyable less fatiguing, and often uh, more economic than the management team's solutions. We had, of course, in that same thing with scheduling, our lack of scheduling flexibility, an archaic reserve system, and those were both ongoing pain points felt by the Alaska pilots. And uh, trust me, it was reiterated to us at nearly every pilot engagement event, whether that was a coffee sit or the cookout tour or pub unity events, you know, a contributing factor truly in pilots uh, not choosing to upgrade, actually. And it exacerbated the attrition and the attraction problem. The company was embarking on, on both growth and finalizing recovery plans. Entering 2022, growth plans that we voiced concerns over. Obviously, this was when we started to raise the red flag about the company's ability to both attract and retain pilots. And uh, we, we definitely called that into question as the attrition trends that we saw at the end of 2022 were developing in 2021. To say that we faced an uphill battle at that time uh, and over that last year is an understatement. However, I think the point that we're going to stress here is that through the unity and resolve shown by this pilot group, we really did. We made some tremendous strides towards achieving a very different reality as we enter 2023. Yeah, as a result of the new collective bargaining agreement, our pilots now enjoy durable scope language. And I think what is really important to cover in there is we're protected in mergers, code share agreements fragmentation, and the event of economic downturns, and we ensure that two pilots remain in the flight deck. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to note, that the uh, the crew complement piece is an issue that is certainly an emergent threat, and it's one that's so important that the uh, 
incoming Alpa President Jason Ambrosi has stood up a committee to deal with it. And that's actually spearheaded by one of our own. So we're very fortunate that fighting that fight, John Slaus has that at the national level in the International Affairs Committee. Right. Well, just to put a finer point on that, I hope our pilots understand that this is a real threat. And we're already seeing this more in Europe at the moment of changes to augmented flight crews, different training requirements, and potentially aircraft manufacturers who are looking at designing cockpits for one pilot. Yeah, well, certainly. And I think that it's important to note that we're one of a handful of carriers that actually have that language in the new contract. Getting back to a lot of the things that we did achieve, I think we we did ensure our pay increases. We had good pay increases with uh, snap-up provisions that were maybe somewhat innovative at the time and now being widely copycatted, I think, as we see the collective bargaining move forward. But they'll ensure that we will not fall behind the industry during the life of this agreement. A lot of the scheduling disagreements that I spoke of they were solved by ALPA control over the pairing solutions. And while there's uh, work underway to implement a unique and tailored PBS system, uh, that when fully implemented will le- alleviate a number of the structural problems that we're currently seeing with line construction, for example. And we can talk about that here in a little bit. In addition, on the scheduling arena, we did lock down fatigue mitigation rules that have been adopted for the reserve pairings. There are additional improvements to pilot schedules that will continue to be seen ADG improving the pairings soon and not just the pay, and of course, greater flexibility. Yeah, another one of those major places where we we saw improvements coming out of 2022 is with our reserve system. We immediately saw increases to reserve call-out times, which definitely helps for our both long and short call reserve pilots. Our new system is currently being worked on right now, and at the present moment, they're hoping for early implementation. While there is a backstop that it has to be implemented no later than the full implementation of PBS, we're seeing strong signs that the system could be implemented early, not to mention the fact that uh, we're now seeing greater use of vacation or or more flexible use of vacation uh, for our current reserve pilots under the current system. Yeah, and that remains an ongoing focus of the pilots. We hear a lot about the reserve system. We also were, obviously, we captured a number of trading improvements However, kind of what I was getting to is that there's a a lack of staffing and the staffing deficit that we encountered last year has unfortunately made for a limited impact in terms of that trading flexibility in some points. It's an issue that we're continuing to address, and it does have something to do with a little bit of the line quality that we're seeing here in the last couple of months as well. I think that ties pretty quickly into sort of an elephant in the room, too. This current CBA, the new CBA, has really helped to address the concerns over attraction and retention. But I think it's really important to understand that the, the industry is very dynamic. Things are changing very rapidly at other properties. Those properties have clear goals, a direction, other opportunities for different pilots. And so that remains a real threat. And I think Alaska is going to be under continued pressure to innovate and look for additional opportunities to, to add value back to a pilot's career. I think so, that while the attrition has indeed slowed, I mean, it's still a factor. And until we can offer something for a career track, a vision that the company can offer our incoming pilots, I think they're still going to have their struggles. And maybe we could spend just another minute on the issue of the San Francisco base. I think that serves as a good object lesson in a way of the value of ALPA and in what we were able to achieve in our, our work on the San Francisco base and getting the company to understand the credibility and the value that Alba brings, not just to its members, but also to the company. And Will, can you flesh that out? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, we that was part of last year's challenges and things that we did accomplish, that uh, the company you know, originally was evaluating the business plan and 
over the the fate of what they wanted to do with San Francisco, and we were able to sit down and work through that problem with them. And now we're seeing that the company not only is growing that base, but has really renewed and has an effort to solidify their presence in California. Will and Drew, thanks for that recap. And I think that does a a good job of showing some of the challenges, but not all of the challenges and also not all of the gains and improvements that we made. It's a good reminder. And it really serves, I think, to express in a strong way the value that a unified pilot group can bring. And more specifically, the, the power that that can bring to bear that allows us to make great changes and move mountains in a way. And while we accomplished a lot, there's still more to do. And I know, Will, that's on your heart. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah, no, I agree. And while we did spend a few minutes talking about the past year's challenges and accomplishments, I do want to emphasize that your elected representatives in no way believe that their work is complete. Just the opposite. We now find ourselves in a position to act on the remaining pilot goals and to identify work ahead to continually keep moving to improve the lives of the Alaska pilots rebuild our process structure, build a volunteer base uh, so the work of our committees can continue on into the future and bring us really successfully into the next bargaining cycle. There are still obviously some pain points. And I alluded to one earlier, which just has to do with the fact that even though we've made so many improvements in the scheduling arena in terms of pairing construction and ADG is starting to be not just a pay only, but would become implemented and affect the quality of the pairings, we acknowledge and know that there are still struggles with schedule quality. And a lot of that comes from uh, the issues of staffing. As we've said, that they're continuing to have staffing struggles. And some of that is due to training throughput. They're not getting people out of training in time. And these are things that we're actively working to address. But more specifically, that we can produce wonderful pairings that pay more, offer more days off and and whatnot. But until we get into PBS, the actual line construction is still something that is out of our control, and it does remain a challenge for us to advocate every every month. Uh, full flexes, things like that, they simply don't help. Yeah, Will, there's still a lot of work to do on the scheduling system as we implement the contract. You know, there certainly are the frustrations with staffing that you've discussed. And again, scheduling is uh, the scheduling committee is working carefully with the company to address those issues to the extent that they can. But keep in mind, too, as we move along, we're going to start to see more and more contractual provisions roll out. So we'll have ADG be full credit here within about a month. We're working to get that reserve system implemented early, which also has an effect on bid block holder trading and flexibility. And then when you get into PBS, there are other elements there that allow for additional flexibility in addition to just the initial line award. So as we continue to move forward over the next year, I think we'll see more and more of the improvements that you guys ratified start to come into place and uh, should have a positive impact on your quality of life. Yep, that's true. And we all just came from a a large implementation meeting yesterday, as a matter of fact, where we've seen the the amount of company resources, the progress, the timeline, and how committed they are to meeting those goals. As you said, that goal is to have the reserve system in place by the summer, and I think that'll be huge. And before we, we move on from work in progress, I do want to acknowledge the work of a few of our committees Uh, right now, as I alluded, our training committee is working very hard and diligently to address the issues that have emerged with training, training scheduling, and maybe establish some good understanding and process to enhance the quality of life for the pilots. Obviously, our, uh, we call them the Section 30 group, but our 
our FOQA team who uh, works daily to protect pilot data and privacy. That work is certainly ongoing as more and more threats and challenges emerge. And then certainly we've discovered here recently that our safety committees had uh, their work cut out for them in terms of addressing things like the recent performance issues that happened last week. So thank the volunteers and, and just rest assured that we really are continuing to address things in real time as they come up. Well, at the top of the podcast, I mentioned that we would be talking about what's ahead. And of course, that's talking about planning and in our case, strategic planning. It's always been a big, important part of this MEC. I think it's been a real success factor in why we were able to achieve the gains that we did in the last contract. And so that process continues. And Drew, would you talk to us about that? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, David, it is, it's really important. And one of the very first projects that I was involved in when I started working for Ronan as his vice chairman of the SPSC was amending and adapting our strategic plan. And I think our pilots might remember back in spring of 2021, we revised that as we re-entered Section 6 negotiations. One of the things that was always highlighted to me and, and really emphasized by both you, David, and, and Ronan was the importance of a plan. And I think we did a really good job of looking for a plan, putting it on paper, sticking to that plan, even when things got uneasy. And so that importance of, of making sure that we're continually adapting that strategic plan is really important moving forward. About two weeks ago, our SPSC team, as well as a negotiating committee and some of our SMEs met out there. So it was David, you were there, Will, myself, Chris Gruner, Scott Rubin, our staff, Zach was there. We had comm staff, Tanya Reyes there. Basically, the entire team that we got through the Section 6 negotiating process was there. And we spent several days not only talking about the future, but we wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about the past, kind of like we have on this podcast where we go back and we identify areas where we were successful. We identified areas where we had pain points and we could have done things better. So that was the first stage in that process of looking to the future and, and future planning. On day two of our meeting in, in DC, we worked on a SWOT analysis, which stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. By delineating all of these different categories, we're able to pretty easily identify goals for the MEC moving forward. Once we've created the different goals, it's uh, our task to prioritize them and then put them in front of the MEC so the MEC can also provide input and prioritize for the work that lies ahead. One of the things we highlighted uh, in this process was to always be able to capture opportunities as they exist. And I think that's really what we want to talk about right now is how did we come up with some of the goals we have and has that process already begun to work? And I think Chris will do a little bit of talking on this particular point here in a few minutes, but we're always looking for opportunities to increase the value of uh, the Alaska Pilots Agreement. So a current example of this is the three letters of agreement that were announced earlier this week. And Chris, I think, has a few things he's going to want to say about those. That's a good point, Drew. And just because our contract's not currently amendable, it doesn't mean that we can't continue to solve problems. And frankly, it also helps make sure that the next round of negotiations is smoother. I mean, that's really what our goal is, is we're working through this, is to solve problems along the way, wherever we can. So we did identify a few uh, items that would help improve the pilot's quality of life. And, you know, we negotiated alongside a few issues that the company had. And uh, I think the, I'll talk through each of these, but... Uh, we'll go through the Airbus retention LOA, a sick leave 
payout LOA and then the severe regular operations amendments. But the first one here, looking at the Airbus retention, you know, I think many of you guys are aware, have been through, you know, fleet transitions, whether it was here with the MD-80 or other airlines where you've seen, you know, the companies transition out of a particular airframe. But generally, that's associated with a reduction in quality of life. And I know it's difficult a lot of times to kind of hang on and be one of the last people. So we did work to try to make sure that we mitigated that to the extent we could and really try to make some improvements to folks and really a lot of certainty as you're moving forward on the scheduling front. And then a, a few provisions that should hopefully help encourage people to stick around. Yeah, I do want to speak to that declining quality of life aspect because that really is a material concern. Obviously, we looked at a number of different agreements and solutions that have been proposed or implemented at other properties to deal with that problem as a fleet draws down. And I think that we were able to come together with a solution that really uniquely addresses uh, the, the concerns going forward for our pilot group. But it was well templated. We had a chance to look at it. I think what really drives the point home, though, for me was having a phone conversation the other day with a very senior Airbus pilot who's actually on the cusp of retirement, still on the fleet, and actually is, is facing retirement out of reserve, potentially. You know, they're really, when he described to me the quality of uh, the schedules and the fact that we have people with a great deal of seniority on reserve down there still as the fleet winds down, that protecting those interests was important. Yeah, good. And I think I'll start off here just talking through some of these scheduling provisions and what those are going to look like. Now, each of these are things that company can do underneath the current contract, but there's a narrower band of things and, you know, hours and things along those lines that will give pilots more certainty, more flexibility and things along those lines. So the first one is just a lower line average when they're building the lines. So those will be built between 75 and 78 hours until the fleet draws down uh, and that's only on the airbus but that gives more days off gives more ability to move your schedule around right because you have more space in those lines and then um just uh ends up again providing certainty that you're not going to get your schedule slammed as you're preparing for future months there the next piece here is just looking at the reserve complement so the company is going to offer a minimum of 70 percent of reserve lines as in the bid packages long call. So again, it's treated the same as normal. So, you know, in our current contract, it's a minimum of 30%. Company could offer up to 70 now, but this again, just provides certainty that 70% is offered at a minimum. Again, you don't have to take them. You can take short call if you want, and nobody's gonna force, you know, 70% of long call on everybody. But again, it's particularly for commuters or people that are uh, looking to have more notice before they go into base. It's just gonna provide a little more uh, space and, and quality of life for you along those lines. And again, as a long call in our current system, you've got more control over picking up trips and things along those lines also uh, the night before. Um, in order to make sure that people that are on short call have some flexibility in moving their days around, we also, uh, the company's agreed to not award more than three short call wraps. So that's on the initial award. And so that means that, you know, the pool of people that you have in order to shift your days around with is small. You're not going to have four or five days and people kind of spread thin across those, or four or five wraps rather, and people spread thin across those. It's limited to those three buckets. And then finally, we got on here, the trips and the lines will be built to maximize commutability. Now, I know that sounds fuzzy, um, but it's really hard to kind of uh, 
define what maximized communicability is, but I'll tell you that um, the scheduling committee is working carefully with the company to uh, build trips that where they can maximize the communicability provisions of that. Again, there's network limitations, but they're working carefully to get that built correctly. And then when they look at the lines, again, they'll be uh, working with Alpa carefully to uh, maximize the communicability options there. Just know that it's a focus on that piece. A couple other elements of this Airbus retention program. If there's a Airbus pilot currently who is current qualified on the aircraft, has a Boeing training date, and they'd rather delay training up until the next reduction bid, they can stay on the Airbus and then go to the bid that they have been awarded concurrent with that next reduction bid. So just gives them more time to fly that aircraft. And if they happen to be a first officer who is senior to the most junior captain, then they'll receive captain rates of pay, even though they're still in that first officer position. And for those of you guys that are interested in that, you need to make sure you notify the director of training no later than February 17th to take advantage of that. And that's, again, any Airbus pilot that is uh, current qualified right now that's looking to delay training and not move over to a Boeing position that they've been awarded. And then the second piece here is going to be in effect along with the next vacancy bid. So uh, when we go and uh, the company ends up running the next bid, after that's complete, any first officer, again, that's senior to the most junior captain is going to be paid captain rates of pay. And that's just across the board on the Airbus fleet. Additionally, if you're a captain and you're looking to downgrade the first officer, then you're not going to be subject to the down bid freeze. So on the next bid, you'll be able to upgrade again if that's what you want to do. So again, it just creates a few more opportunities for pilots to be able to uh, stick around on the Airbus if that's what they choose to do. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I know it's actually a, you know, a tough issue to deal with, but it is one that the industry, as I said, has dealt with, with dwindling fleets and a decision to retire a fleet. And I will say that that's an issue here that could have been dealt with perhaps more artfully, more proactively early on in terms of the outcome and where we ended up and with these agreements. But regardless, uh, I, I knew and we knew as a, as a body, the MEC, that we had a problem to solve. Yeah, that's right. You know, and it did come kind of towards the uh, end of when we were able to be able to be effective kind of doing something here. But, uh, you know, at the same time, the company did come constructively, I think, looking to solve the problem and then looking to address some other issues that we had on the table as well. So we were able to pull these together and get something across the line. And, you know, with this Airbus retention program, you know, we handled it in a unique way because it was a unique situation. So we tried to make sure that it was uh, fair to the entire pilot group but still offered opportunities for Airbus pilots to have a good quality of life and to, you know, want to stick around for a while in order to make sure that the, you know, all the pilots have the uh, opportunity to be part of a successful airline. And then this will wind down, we'll go to single fleet, and then, you know, we're off to the races at that point. But some of these other things we looked at, and I'll talk to him here, you know, the unused sick leave at retirement and then the severe regular operations. So, you know, the first one, we took a look at here was this unused sick leave at retirement where we're getting a payout at 25%. And so this is something that was in our original openers for section six negotiations. We wanted to increase that as something that's important to pilots. And so as we ended up having these discussions, the company was willing to increase that payout when pilots do retire. So there's a couple brackets here. So if you have less than 300 hours at retirement, you're still going to get the same sick leave payout. You know, now if you have 300 hours up to 499 hours, then all of your sick leave is going to be paid out at 50% now. And if you retire with 500 or more hours, so 500 to 1,000, 
uh, you get a hundred percent payout for your uh, sick leave when you retire. So again, that's been a, a goal that we've heard from you through the MEC and then through negotiations that just didn't quite make it over the line when we were negotiating. So it was good to have an opportunity to pull that one to a close and improve that for pilots. And the other piece here that we took a look at was the uh, severe regular operations because, uh, you know, we all experienced that freezing rain event in December that shut down a whole bunch of airports and then wind in Anchorage and all kinds of compounding issues. And obviously that was an extreme event, but when that happens, it kind of exposes some of the areas that uh, maybe there's room for improvement. And so we took a look at that and a couple of things that we uh, did here. Well, one, there's this kind of a cleanup item again from negotiations, and so that's in the event that you know, you're in base, your flight's still operating and the company reassigns you to another one, which they can do today. Now, instead of getting 150%, it's increased to 200%. So again, you're, uh, I think, compensated appropriately for the schedule change that you have in the company being able to change the operation away from what you've bid in order to uh, cover what they need to. The other piece here that we uh, heard a lot about is uh, folks that are leaving the door open and just being concerned about the pay not starting up there. So that's a big deal. I mean, I understand that, you know, we don't want to have passengers there starting to delay clock and not having an opportunity to get off the airplane when they're sitting there for several hours. But at the same time, you know, as a captain or a first officer, you have a responsibility to those passengers at that point. And, you know, you're sitting there uh, taking control of that aircraft. So we did negotiate that during an SIO only, that at all the bases, system-wide, pay is going to start now when the flight closes. So that means when the gate agent closes the flight. So when that happens, uh, then pay clock will start. You'll still be using you know the normal block-in time to calculate your 117 stuff, but that should hopefully help mitigate one of the pain points that we heard. Absolutely. We, we heard that loud and clear during the ICE event that severe irregular operations impacted not just Seattle, but all of the other bases and that we saw company concerns over the tarmac delay program that were compromising pilot pay. And so this was a, a good opportunity to capture and make sure, as you said, that we're paid appropriately for the responsibility and at the right time. And uh, a lot of people have asked about that metric, but the incentive to close the flight remains throughout that, even in severe regular operations, even if maybe the the motive to close the door has changed. Right. And Will, you did a really good job, I know, during that whole event, just advocating for pilots. So it's clear that the work that you did to advance that concern ended up leading to us being able to negotiate this and pull this together. So again, just don't forget on the line there, when you have an issue, bring it up to your reps because it does end up getting back to us. And you know, there's not always an opportunity to fix things, but uh, we certainly have a log going and we want to take advantage of those opportunities when we have them. Chris, that's a really good point. I think all three of these LOAs really highlight what we were just talking about when it comes to planning and always seeking opportunities to make life better for the Alaska pilots. One of the things I think it's really important to stress and point out with the SIO language is we did a lot in the new CBA to protect pilots when they're stuck away from their base, when uh, their trips break when they can't get back as they were originally scheduled. And we saw a lot of that really positively impact our pilots during that SIO event, or I guess multiple SIO events uh, in the month of December. And this is just, again, another reiteration of not only did that help our pilots, we also saw that there was still peace lacking. And this is one of those ways that we're able to solve that problem, even when we're no longer in Section 6. That's a good point. 
There is just uh, one more piece on here too. I just want to hit before we move off the uh, LOA, and that's the uh, piece about being able to get into work. Again, with all the snow and ice and everything else, it was difficult for pilots to get in place. But you know, the company had visibility that this was going to be an issue moving forward. So, for the next time, the SIO is anticipated to be declared, so they don't actually have to declare it. Then the company may offer uh, hotels in base to get people in place early. They may offer positive space to get people in place again, maybe up to a day prior. So it's a 24-hour window before they anticipate this happening. Now, pilots aren't obligated to take either of these, but if they do, then they get per diem, which will start either when they check into the hotel or they check in for their flight to get into place. So again, just more options for pilots to be able to get to work. And before we move off this, I want to take just a moment to kind of speak about these three uh LOAs as a whole, as a package, because again, we saw, you know, the opportunity to protect our pilots on multiple fronts and to advance the goals that maybe we hadn't quite finished in negotiations or identify areas that still needed refinement when it comes to the SIO piece. But there is actually significant value locked into these three agreements in terms of what it does for our pilots, especially the sick leave piece. We've had a goal for a long time to capture that value. And our EF&A experts have taken a look at what the value is, and it does, it's significant. It's millions and millions that accrues back to the pilots, as well as uh, obviously protecting our pay during an SIO. And the entire pilot group gets to enjoy that benefit. Yeah, no, that's great. You know, and that's, those are the kinds of things that we're always looking to move forward as things that benefit right, our pay, working conditions and benefits wherever we can. And at the same time, it is important that we have a solid operation at this company because that's going to go back and make sure that the company can make money that supports our livelihoods to the extent that we're able to solve these operational issues and then help clean up a lot of this stuff by incentivizing pilots in the right way. And I think a lot of this helps us move forward in a positive direction. Okay, Chris, thanks for fleshing out all of those LOAs. Obviously, you put a lot of work into that. And another area where a lot of work has been going on is in the grievance committee. And will you even mention this at your chairman's letter at the top of the year? Tell us what's been going on behind the scenes with grievance. Yeah, thanks, David. Uh, The grievance backlog is one of those pain points that I identified as being just completely unacceptable in the the chairman's letter. That's obvious goals for for this year. And something that we've really had to focus on and have, both uh, from the highest level down to the committee work in the last month. I would say that the last two meetings have been very productive in clearing some of the backlog and that the company has shown movement in settling some of those old grievances and just leave it that it was especially true when we met last week. And I think that we should see evidence of that progress here very, very shortly. Thanks, Will. And Drew, perhaps I can return to some of that work we did on the SWOT analysis and the strategic planning. And we're working on a plan that we'll present to the MEC soon for them to approve. But in the meantime, there are some things that we identified that we'll be working on that I think we can talk about now. Maybe you can bring up those issues. Yeah. One of the things that it's really important to point out about everything we've been talking about today, and that is all of the work that gets done, it's all done by, uh, by volunteers. You know, Alpa is a, a volunteer organization. It's a membership-driven organization from, from the bottom up, not the other way around. And one of the things we identified during those sessions out in 
and Vallo was that it's imperative for the future of this association to make sure that we are attracting and retaining volunteers that can continue the committee work. Our volunteers work on all manner of, of committees and, and pilot goals and pilot touch points from pilot peer support, which offers support for pilots who are going through difficult times, to protecting data as it comes off of our airplanes through our focal committee. All of these things, again, they're driven by individuals who, who see a need and they step up into the positions. That's really why volunteering is so important. It is the backbone of everything that gets accomplished. It's not just the four officers. It's not the MEC. It's a lot of the committee work. What we want to do is change how we're getting pilots from the line and plug them into the committee structure. So as you said, David, we are working on a new process to do that. And as we work through the details on that, we'll be able to present it to the MEC later on. We really want to encourage all of our pilots who have time to step up. And I think that uh, every pilot at an Alpha carrier or any carrier for that matter with a union should spend some of their time uh, as a volunteer. I think it's one, incredibly rewarding. And two, it's critical to the work that's done that the vast majority of our pilots at some point in their career stand up and volunteer. It's true. Yeah. The committee work and those volunteers really are the engine under the hood that we discovered that certainly during negotiations and in the day-to-day -day operations without the tireless work of all of those volunteers, we, we just couldn't do it. Absolutely. And for anybody listening to this podcast right now who is interested in volunteering, you can feel free to send us an email at volunteerala at alpa.org. Uh, and I think, David, if you can link that in the, the show notes, that would be awesome. So pilots have an easy ability to, to grab that and let us know what you're interested in, in volunteering in. Yeah, or even let us know if you don't know what that is exactly. Just if you're interested in doing something, we'll get someone who can chat with you and talk about some of the things that are available to you. And there's there's a lot of work that people may not even be aware of. So chances are, if you have an interest in something, there's, there's a way to fit that into ALPA work. That's a really good point, David. You know, we don't want anybody to be afraid of volunteering because they're they're not sure of where they're going to fit in. Part of what we're working on is, is ensuring that you have somebody to talk to when we first make contact, or you first make contact with our union volunteers who are, are going to help place you. And one of the other things that we want to work on, too, is highlighting all of our different committees so that you have easier access to understand what the committee work is that uh, each one of these, these committees are tasked with. Yeah, and I would offer a little bit of encouragement, too. If you have an interest in this, you're 80% of the way there. Going way back to when I first started doing work, here at this property, I was asked to be the pilot-to-pilot -pilot chairman, and I immediately thought of the pilot-to-pilot -pilot chairman at the company that I just come from, which was Comair, and I, my reaction was, oh, no, I, there's no way I could do it. I, I'm comparing myself to this guy who'd had years of experience, and it, it just I never saw myself in that role. And obviously, I, I ended up taking that chairmanship position and, and I think doing well at it, which is common, I think, in a lot of these positions. We, we come to them with some skill and ability to start with, but there's a lot of on-the-job learning and, and training that's available to you and lots of mentorship. And so you're not going to be thrown to the wolves, but you'll be supported and one thing can easily move into something else. And you're doing, before you know it, good, important work that's moving the profession forward. Yeah. The, the most important qualities of volunteers is a willingness to serve 
and a desire to make it better for the next generation of pilots. Well said. Will, we also came up with some other major focus areas for the MEC this year. You want to talk about what those were? Yeah, certainly. And I think some of those have already been sort of addressed here uh, on the podcast, but obviously ensuring that implementation continues to progress and progress in a positive way with a, a strong focus on contract enforcement. And that also involves for the pilot group, making sure that you bring those issues that you're experiencing to your contract compliance volunteers and to the awareness of the scheduling floor volunteers to continue to show the value to the company of collaborating with ALPA and our committee SMEs as relevant stakeholders. And we've certainly had good luck here recently with that. And as we said, clearing existing grievances and setting the, the stage to prevent another accumulation of future grievances. That's why the, the CBA captures at least twice a month for our grievance meetings. As we've said, we're constantly looking for ways to constructively solve problems and, and capture gains for our pilots. And I certainly think we talked about that today with these letters of agreement. And I do think that the important point was made at the start of this podcast, that that goal and that process will require just about as much attention as the CBA. But most importantly, as you said at the top of the podcast, our ability to achieve those things comes from unity and the resolve of the pilot group. Yeah, well, I think the company understands now how powerful that unity is and how important it is to listen to what the pilot pain points are. Yeah, I think that they are listening. And as we've said, there's still areas where there's work to be done, like we talked about earlier with uh, training and the issues that we're resolving in crew planning. As we've noted, there's still pain points, but we do really have good volunteers working tirelessly to address the issues and also assure everybody here listening that those concerns are elevated to the highest level on a regular basis. To our point, our success and our ability to make progress in 2023 like we did last year is really going to require that we preserve that unity. And that's an active process. And it starts, as I always say, with staying informed, defending your contract, and continuing to engage your reps with your priorities. That's that base level of engagement. And as we talked about just a few minutes ago, it also takes volunteerism. If you have an interest, as we discussed, now, now's the time to reach out. Because uh, Contract 2025 really does start today. And, and continuing to build that base is just as important as unity and resolve. Our next regular MEC meeting is in April, and we're going to continue to focus on strategic planning as we move towards 2025. Some of that planning that we did will be discussed, and uh, your elected reps will be able to set the direction and the priorities as we move forward. All right. Thanks, Will. And really wouldn't be a podcast episode if you didn't end it with some final thoughts, and I'm sure you've got some today. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think what we should note is that today we're recording on the anniversary of the loss of Alaska 261. 23 years ago. And while we have issues that we're working on and issues that will emerge, the most important thing that we can do is stay engaged and stay focused on safety and stay focused on professionalism. It really is the best way to honor the legacies of all of those who were lost, but especially those two amazing pilots, Ted Thompson and Bill Tansky. Thank you, Will. I think that's a great reminder that that is what inspires us in our profession, I think, and the reason that ALPA exists in the first place. So I'd like to thank you for highlighting that. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening and to take those words at heart. I'm your communication chairman, David Campbell, and you've been listening to the Alaska Pilots Podcast. Mm-hmm.